Hi everyone, this is Mike with Singing for Survival, the Capoeira History Podcast. Uh, today I wanted to share with you guys a another special bonus episode that I recently did last week. So in this episode, I team up with the folks from the Only the Strongest podcast, which is another Capoeira podcast, to just sit down and chat about how we approach history, why we think it's important, and kind of the things we can do to help guide people uh, to learning history in a, in a better way. So um, I hope you enjoy it. Um, if you do, please go check out their podcast, Only the Strongest, on Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. And yeah, I hope you enjoy. You know, how do you go about finding this stuff? Like, I think a lot of people wonder, listening to your podcast, man, how does he even find this kind of stuff? And so You're just you doing can... the podcast right now. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Don't spoil it for me, Evan. <laughs> My bad, Casey. Can't even write on this, like, desk or anything. <laughs> All right, we're ready. I apologize. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Welcome to Only the Strongest, the only capweighted podcast that is so lazy it has outsourced its podcasting to another <laughs> podcast. Oh, that's true. This is really, this really isn't Only the Strongest. This is the survival of the strongest. Only the singing for survival who are strong or something. I like uh, it. We are, we are very pleased to welcome Desconfiado. Michael, thank you for joining Woo-hoo. us. We appreciate it. Well, thank you guys so much for having me here, guys. Yeah, and we're not, we're really not clear if this is you're on our podcast or we're on your podcast. So for the listener, you have to sort out that confusion on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other three of us here are Vadal Bonzino and Azul. And we're here today to talk about what else but history. We can't pass up the chance to talk about it if we have Desconfiado on, on, the, uh, on the mic here. Man, I'm I'm excited about this. Thanks for reaching out. Uh, super yeah. excited to have this collaboration. It makes me feel like a grown up podcast <laughs> person yeah. that I can use the word collaboration. You know? Yes. Yeah. Now, what is this? A crossover episode? I know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Why don't we Why don't we just get going? We'll jump right into it. Uh, Michael, you wanted to start off talking about like, you know, why is the history of Capoeira important to study? What's the use here? That kind of. What's yeah. The sure. Use? Yeah. What. <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's a that's a good way to ask it because you know I I'm here, I'm here basically to talk about history, and most of the podcast work that I do is all history related, and whenever I talk to people about stuff like this, the most obvious question that kind of has to come up is, you know, why why should we care about this? You know, why are we here? What are what are we even doing? Um. And I think Wait, really, under- I, I'm sorry, man. Can I interrupt you right off the yeah. bat? Are you getting a lot of listeners writing emails to you that are like, "Dude, I loved your podcast, so informative," but like, why, why? should I even care, man? <laughs> <laughs> You're like trying to sell a seventh grader on learning math. Yeah, you know, surprisingly, every email <laughs> starts on, off like that. It's what weird. Do you teach? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, I mean, pe- people may not necessarily ask that, you know, when they when they come to your material, but if uh, what I what I don't want is people to listen to an episode on history, learn a bunch of stuff, be like, cool, that's awesome, and then kind of walk away and then never think about it again. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For sure. And the way that the way that I find to to connect with people better is if they really understand if they understand why I care about what we're doing, then it gives them more of a reason to care about it. Um, it's kind of like more of intrinsic motivation in people to learn. And it's always going to be more effective than just saying like, just like vomiting information at them. By sharing Um, your passion for it, you mean? Exactly, exactly. Hmm. Uh, And I think even more than that, giving them a reason to care about it. Because there's sharing my passion, but it's also giving them a means to develop their own passion. Um, Because I think think that, you know, I think that many times when people say they have a hard time caring about history or connecting with it or learning about it, um, it's because they haven't really been shown the way to care about it. Um, at least that's the way it was for me for a long time. You know, when I was learning about history through grade school, uh, it was always like, I always saw it as a list of events that happened. And if you think of history as just a sequence of events that happened, it's really hard to care about it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't care about it, then then you're never going to, after you hear something that's interesting, you're not going to go out and then say, oh, now how can I, how can I learn more about this? Yeah, yeah. That, so, that's yeah. interesting that I, uh, it just makes me think, I think people do this with personal history all the time. Like you learn about what happened in somebody else's life or relationship and you absolutely remember the story and apply it to your own, but people don't take that to grander scale with society and realize that it's mm-hmm. pretty much the same learning experience. I mean, I can say personally that when I hear about somebody else's, you know, emotional trauma or something in their recent experience, I don't learn a thing from it. I just go, oh, that's rough. I hope I don't make the same mistake. It's because you're an asshole. I feel like that's Right. Noted. I forgot that. Unempathetic rock. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah. I think that's really true. And. I think you do a really good job of that with your podcast, with bringing like relevance to Capoeira's history, and even just you know Brazilian Portuguese history of hmm. um, how that's relevant to Capoeira today, and how it's relevant in the traditions and songs that are sung and everything. So, yeah, I think that's that's spot on. That's that's awesome. Well, and then kind of what you said there is really is at least a big portion of the why here. So first of all when you're talking about connecting to the culture, to the music and things like that, not from just Capoeira, but also uh, as it relates to uh, Brazil and the the Portuguese relation there as a whole, um, there is a whole lot that we as non-Brazilians don't understand about uh, Capoeira culture and more broadly Brazilian culture just because we didn't grow up in it. Um, it's in things that even, you know, are not explicitly taught uh, that that Brazilian capoeiristas just have an understanding of because it's it's around them when they grow up. Um, it's why that it's that's why a lot of what I do is targeted at it's targeted at non-Brazilians because of that and also because of the language barrier. But more specifically, people in the United States, just because that's where I'm from, and uh, I know you know from experience here being in Capoeira for uh, a little over a decade now that people here really struggle with that. Um, and I think it yeah. puts a it puts a barrier up not just between the people and the 
you know, the Brazilian people in Capoeira, in Capoeira but also things like the music uh, that you can't really understand without that cultural knowledge. For sure. I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast at one point, but I remember watching an episode of Anthony Bourdain. He was down in Rio doing all kinds of stuff, and there was some backyard barbecue, and they busted out a bunch of instruments and were singing some songs, and mm. uh, one of them was Padanawe. And it, had, <laughs> it has nothing at all to do. There's no capoeira anywhere, but it was just like these people are hanging out, and somehow you realize, oh, that this this thing that I do that no one else in the United States understands or can classify in any kind of sensical way has this much has all these other attachments to all these other things in this other country. It's mm-hmm. not just its own little unique art form. It has you know broader span than what I realized. Growing up in the states, learning it in the states, especially if your teacher is an American, uh, that I think that then exactly what you said that puts you at a little bit of a disadvantage. You miss out on plenty of stuff, and uh, you also inherit a lot of things you don't realize you're inheriting, both good and bad stuff. I don't know if you yeah. guys have ever been somewhere and seen like some poor, <laughs> sad you know, two year American capoeira kid who doesn't know what he's doing and he imitates the little like condomble signs about to buy the game in the quad <laughs> and you're just like man this this poor guy has no idea that that Context. like if he does that in front of the wrong person that's gonna that's gonna be really offensive and he's gonna get in trouble <laughs> or, like get an atabaki thrown at his head you know but he just is imitating what he sees around him and it's like okay this is the thing to do when you buy the game one point for why you should learn your history safety yeah yes safety <laughs> not getting punched in the face <laughs> yeah absolutely for sure. Absolutely. And then, you know, there's forgiveness in Kapoda Hada sometime, but you do that in a Samba Hada or like in front of an Afro-Brazilian dance teacher, you're you're not getting out of there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Take that very seriously. We kind of went over this in the last podcast when we uh, went over that uh, Versace's um, podcast on professionalism in Capoeira. Mm. And something that stuck out to me was how like the old guard of Capoeira, the, you know, the, the generation and generations before us, they definitely came to Capoeira with, it wasn't something that was for everybody. It wasn't something that was necessarily a, like a noble business pursuit, even, um, in that it was like a professional like business center. It was more of a handed down. You needed to earn, uh, like the respect of your mestre and, you know, prove that you were worthy to kind of learn this art and carry it on. And that has shifted since it's kind of expanded beyond Brazil to other places to become kind of a, you know, a professional, like one-stop or not a one-stop shop, but a, an actual business and profession in, in that sense. So I think that like that context of, you know, the history of Capoeira in that sense is, is kind of lost a little bit on Americans and, and foreigners too. Mm-hmm. But There's, yeah, I know we have a lot of questions. There's a lot, oh, we could talk about this topic already for like an hour. Um, <laughs> I know we had talked about the importance of, students especially non-brazilian and not in brazil learning their history i do have to say that there was a difference when i trained first with american teachers and then with a brazilian mestre um a huge difference Mm. in understanding and learning and applying the culture and the music and like that whole context, the history and everything of Capoeira, the language, all was so much more emphasized and better understood under the Brazilian mystery who cared about it, who understood it, 
you know, inside and out because it was just part of their life uh, versus an American who was kind of taught it and imitating and imitating mm-hmm. and not even caring so much about that as the movements. You know, it was like just a checklist of things they're supposed to teach and it didn't go any deeper, um, you know, which is a shame. And I feel like that probably happens a lot, uh, you know, just due to the nature oh, yeah. of not having grown up in the culture. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like you kind of have to expect it to happen in uh, places outside of Brazil uh, because, you know, it, just thinking about the United States, when we have younger teachers here that are American, um, they, in many cases, maybe they can't speak Portuguese, but they can understand the movements. So it's much easier to connect on that level than it is having to overcome so many barriers to get to that cultural aspect. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm kind of in that boat myself. I could say a quick example of uh, American instructors not fully grasping the context and the, the waters in which they swim. We had a friend back in the day who was extremely talented at Capoeira. His name was Danny, and he was uh, went with us on a trip down to Brazil. And his nickname was Palhaço, which means clown. Mm-hmm. It's because he was really acrobatic, and he got it from when he was a kid. He was always doing back handsprings. So his teacher was like, "Oh, he's like a, it's like clown college, you know? He can do all these flips and stuff." So he names him Palhaço. But then we get down to Brazil, and it turns out that Palhaço is a pejorative. You say it in the way that you would call somebody <laughs> an asshole. So it's like it turns out that this guy's nickname is actually just asshole. And, <laughs> Every every Brazilian we met when when he had to go through this over and over and over, like introducing himself by like, oh, my apelido is palhaço. They would always make fun of him and laugh. And like everybody's talking behind his back like, oh, you know, this dumb American. He's got this stupid nickname. And it's like, man, this all could have been avoided. But it's just like the teacher didn't understand the context, you know. And I think that the nicknames is one of the easiest places to go oh, wrong, yeah. Yeah. where you can have the best of intentions, story. yeah, and it's gonna it's gonna backfire quickly. Yeah, I I feel like I I feel like I've heard that story over and over again, uh, even that specific one. But um, but yeah, and I I think that's why it's important for us to try to you know, refocus a little bit. I think. There are there are teachers who are non-Brazilian who care a lot about culture and history and stuff like that. But there are also lots that I and I don't even want to necessarily that say that there's plenty that don't care about it. Um, but I think there's many who don't either don't know how to care about it or don't know how to access it. Um, and both of those things can lead to lead to these kind of like cultural missteps. Um, which is really the purpose of what I was doing here. Yeah. I think that that access is something that you're, you know, kind of providing through your podcast. And it's something that I think a lot of American teachers struggle with, especially if they don't have that, you know, master, you know, mastery above them that has the background and that can, you know, kind of take them under their wing or teach them how to both care and access that, that history. Um, because it's not the easiest thing to find. Um, absolutely not <laughs> well i wonder <laughs> for sure been, not yeah we've been classifying this uh as you know brazilians versus non-brazilians training capoeira but has there been an experience i almost feel like i have where there are brazilian mestres that also don't care about the history oh sure that only care about the movements or about their students progress or their you know what i mean 
Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Where that comes yeah, from at, as well, if they're as their experience and if that is an argument towards, is it really as important as we're saying? I'm trying to play devil's advocate a little bit here. I mean, oh I God. think that's I think that's a good point. I because because you're definitely right that caring caring about history is not a uniquely Brazilian thing. Um, uh, but there are things that I think that you understand as someone who grows up in Brazil that you don't necessarily understand not being there that you don't have to maybe learn about, you know, more passive elements of the culture that come through in the music and the stories that are told that if you, if you are living in Brazil, you'll understand things like references to, to popular culture and stuff like that. Uh, but if you don't, if you're not from, if you're not a Brazilian, if you didn't grow up there, then many times you have to be educated about these things that people learn about passively. Um, so for example, uh, when we talk about, so there's plenty of Capoeira songs that reference Lumpião and talk about the, uh, the cangaceros, they talk about the sertão, stuff like that. And it's referenced very passingly. Um, there's not, there's usually not a whole lot of detail. And I think that, at least this was true for me, when I was uh, young in Capoeira, um, I would hear, I would always hear these things, I'd hear these names, but it wouldn't mean anything to me. Um, you know, especially when you're just learning Portuguese, it's just another word that I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, my, so my brother, my brother's girlfriend is Brazilian. She's from the northeast of Brazil. And I talked to her about it, and she knew about uh, Lampiao and Maria Bonita and the, the Cangaceru band, having no connection to Capoeira or anything like that. But because when she went to school, uh, there was one day every year that all the kids would come in dressed up like Lampiao, just because it was like part of their public school stuff. It was like, is a popular figure enough that they would just do stuff like that? So I, I think there's, there's lots of instances like that where um, we have to educate ourselves on the passive elements of the, cu- of the culture in addition to, you know, some of the historical stuff we dig into. Definitely know how you feel there because I, I, don't, I don't think I knew who Lampiao was at all other than kind of a Robin Hood figure. That's really all I'd ever gotten before I listened to your podcast on it. And that was super enlightening. So. The more you know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that, that's that's all I knew about him too before I sat down and did the research for it. Yeah. Um. I I want to say let's let's go back to Azul's point for a moment here. Let's pretend that Azul just put up this hypothetical Brazilian mystery, who said to us, "The history is not that important. Like, who cares? You just need to worry about the movements or the music in the moment." And I'm Brazilian, so you should trust my authority on this. Here's my point against it. Here's why I've just been dying to say this, this whole, ever since we decided we were going to start talking about this topic, this has been in my head. You just want to play. I think it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to justify your own beliefs at a certain point in Capoeira. You have to start thinking for Mm -hmm. yourself and start looking at how things are done and saying to yourself, why are things done in this way and does it make sense to continue yeah. doing them this way and that means it means everything 
It means what kind of curriculum is my teacher using to teach me? What beliefs do they have about what's appropriate in the Hoda? You know, uh, a easy example of this, some groups are very tolerant of fights. And if two guys get in a scuffle, it's not a big deal at all. Other groups are much more sensitive about that kind of thing, and they're not going to allow it's that violence to come into the hood, right? And that's that's a strong belief about what should be allowed and what should not be allowed. The music is another example. You know, how many instruments are there? When do they get played? At what time? All of that stuff. But then it's going to go beyond that to larger stuff like who should be allowed to do capoeira? Who should have access to it? Whether that's different races of people or people coming from various countries or even just like we just want the right kind of people here in our capoeira studio. If you're the wrong kind of person, then you shouldn't be allowed to train, that sort of stuff. And if you don't look at the history, then you're never going to have the kind of knowledge that you need to start to put up some kind of measuring device against these beliefs to say, does this make sense for what I want out of my life? If I want to have a, a just and morally right and correct life as best that I can, can I continue going to this school where the teacher is always trying to sleep with all the hot female students? And if, if you sort of feel like, oh, okay, that in some sense, that's traditional for Capoeira, so I guess that's okay. Like you're, you're, you're now like the internet sheep of Capoeira, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's why I think in a in a long term and very fundamental way, it's good to educate yourself at least a little bit on the history of the context of what Capoeira is and where it is, even if that just means looking at your immediate surroundings. How did my teacher come to be the instructor here? How do they get their thoughts about what they're spoon feeding me and <laughs> can I continue to eat this kind of stuff or should I go elsewhere, find something new? Yeah, I, I absolutely love everything you just stated because I think that it can be extrapolated to life in general that people don't do enough is assessing and asking themselves the hard questions, you know, I had, whether you're doing that about religion or about your, you know, the capoeira school you're in. And the problem can be the same where you're scared to ask the questions because you're scared of retribution because you're scared of the answer for yourself, whether even if it's not from your teacher, you know, there's a lot of fear that can go into wanting to seek out those questions, but it's absolutely necessary, especially if you're going to turn around and teach Capoeira one day. I think that what mm, Vladal yeah. said is extremely important to know why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Was... You know, we have a, uh, I'm I'm sorry, Michael. I didn't mean to go interrupt ahead. you. Go ahead, man. That was me. Go ahead. No, that was me. Oh, Zeno. <laughs> now oh, I can't. Screw you. First it was Sue Cow. No one knows who it is. Now it's Desconfiado. Oh, no one. Bonzino, your voice sounds like every other man's voice. Apparently. I have that effect. I'm the everyman. Yes. All right, man. Go I ahead. actually I forgot what I was going to say. So go ahead. Oh. <laughs> All right, well, that one's on me. Well, let, let me, me jump in then, and uh, I just want to say I a thousand percent agree with with what both of you are saying, um, and I think this really comes back to what uh, the way that I approach history and that I, I want to help people approach history in. And that's thinking about not what happened, but why things happened. Uh, because I think understanding why things happened helps you, you know, critically analyze the things that you're doing now. 
Uh, if you know why, th- you know, we, we talk about tradition a lot in Kapoda. And if you know why things are traditional, then it's easier to take a critical look and say, okay, do I want to continue this tradition or do I want to change it? And especially right now when we have a lot of uh, groups fracturing, people starting and doing their own thing and people really, you know, taking a hard look at the Kapoda community and their groups and what they want to do going forward, it's really important to have uh, confidence in what you're doing and some sort of backing. Mm-hmm. And context. Yeah. Yes. I was. I think I wrapped my head around my point that I was going to make earlier, um, which is that it, I think Evan, you made a big, a good point that everybody needs to make their own decisions. And you know, if you're ever going to teach yourself, you need to you know think about why you're teaching a certain way. Like following the same curriculum that you were taught. I don't think is, it's. I don't think it's valuable to your students if you don't have a connection to it and the context behind it. And then again, Kepwoda is a, you know, evolving art. It is always moving this way and that, and you need to be able to adapt to that. And having that information, historical information, gives you more context to be able to kind of make those decisions about what is important that you teach, what is important that you try to teach as a curriculum and overall how you want to portray Capoeira. So Bonzino could not agree more, man. I want to highlight something that Azul said that I think is important. He said it can be scary to go back and, and look at the <laughs> history. There's a lot of fear there. We have a, we all mutually have a friend who a few years ago left her church after being in there her entire life, you know, more than 40 years. And at one point I was having a conversation with her and she said one of the reasons she left her church is that she looked at the history of it for the first time. Hmm. And, you know, this is an adult who had been in it their entire life and had accepted for the most part, what they had been told about the, the church's history. And then finally went to some outside sources and decided I can't be a part of this anymore. And I can't put myself in her shoes and think about how frightening that must have been to start to confront something where you say, I've, I've been tied to this my entire life. It's provided structure, a community, moral guidance, mm-hmm. um, a family for me. And now I have to go digging into it and I might not like what I see, but I still feel obligated to do that. So I, I think that most of us are not tied quite as tightly to Capoeira as something like that, but <laughs> I think it's close. I think the relationship is close and, so I think there can be a lot of fear with that, and especially Desconfiado, what you were saying about groups fracturing, everybody trying to figure out, you know, how do we reform ourselves? We're looking at the issue of sexual assault. There's plenty of people, and I've run into some folks like this, who don't want to look at this and don't want oh, to yeah. actually face it and say this, admit that this is a problem and that we should be doing something about it. You know, they just want to say, the, the way that we've been doing things is good and mm-hmm. let's keep going with that, you know, and it's simply at this point, it's no longer sufficient. You don't get to do that anymore. It's, it's over. Mm-hmm. I've been worked up about th- I've been thinking about this all day. <laughs> I'm sweating over here in my little office. It's like 30 degrees outside. Snowing. <laughs> I got sweaty hands. Yeah. I agree that it's a, you know, leaving a religious faction is definitely not a, uh, gonna be a much deeper level of like you said fear and life commitment but when you combine the fear of of 
potentially asking the wrong questions, of being shunned from your Capoeira community, there are, there are similarities to that because you may have known this Capoeira community your whole life and suddenly you're cut off from it or you don't really know where to go if your group fact, you know, fractures and you don't know who to train with and if you're going to have the right information or sources after that. So that's been a question on my mind this whole time is where do people go to find the right information for history of Capoeira and in a way that they know that whatever they understand and share is going to be, you know, correct and helpful to the art form, you know. I don't know how else to ask that or explain that. Well, look no further. <laughs> this well, podcast, but I'm just saying, you know, if they can't wait for the next week and they need more, they need more. That that honestly, more questions, <laughs> sensei. That that's probably. I think that's that's the biggest question when it comes to cup. Like, well, first of all, that's a huge question when it's just learning cup at all, especially now. But um, I think that's a big question with history because. I'm, as I'm sure you've all seen, it's very easy to look at the same topic or figure or event in Capoeira and find three or four completely conflicting stories about what it actually is or what it means. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And that's that's super mm-hmm. common. And I think that the difficulty in approaching that history, um, and this is something I struggle with all the time, is we can't really approach it like we would... Uh, like we were taught to approach it. Like if you were if you were assigned a, a an essay to write on Zoom B, the way that you would research that I think is not really applicable to what we have, um, because what we're we're not talking about written recorded sources. We're talking about things that are primarily oral sources, things that are store, stories, things that are songs, and they're gonna conflict and they're gonna be different, and. Um, I think the way that I think about it is, so I'm a, I'm an, I'm an engineer by, uh, by training, oh, me too. Uh, by day <laughs> and, um, bros. Yeah. Making bros. on the podcast. <laughs> That's what we're here for. And, uh, so I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not like a computational analyst, but I know a lot of them. And the thing that <laughs> always sticks with me is, when we're talking about making a model for something in the real world, they tell me that all models are wrong, but some of them are useful. And that's the way that I think about a lot of these kind of versions of stories that we're get. Most we're not going to get the true, correct, hundred percent. This is what happened story. It's just it doesn't exist for anything that's more than a hundred years old in Capoeira, even probably less than that. We're never going to have access to it. So it's it's not it's it's not how do we find the true story. It's how do we find what we're supposed to learn about this from the stories that are available. It's entirely possible that we have multiple conflicting stories that are valid and that all contribute to a similar narrative about what we're trying to learn from this. Um, But I think parsing that is really difficult. Yeah, that answers so many questions. Like listening to a Mestre panel argue about the origins of Capoeira being either indigenous or from mm. the African continent itself. And that's exactly why I was asking. I was like, well, what happens when mysteries conflict? But you saying that, you know, not trying to get it factually correct, but how did you just say that? Applying the the context of what you're learning. 
You said it so well just now. I'll just edit out what I'm trying to reiterate here. But <laughs> I wish I uh, wish I could remember what I said so I could repeat it. But <laughs> it's gone. But, yeah, it's it just made forever. so much sense to me. <laughs> so I appreciate that insight. Well, and it's not it's not just my insight either. This is this is something that. Um, so well, if you want a really good book to start off on, um, that kind of set me along this path is it's called. Uh, Bimba's Rhythm is one, two, three. Um, and I think it's, it was originally a single book, but I think it might be separated into parts now. Um, it's written by, uh, Professora Lang. Uh, she's part of, uh, Filius Jubimba, which is Messi Nanel's group. Uh, it was Messi Jubimba's son. And that book, uh, is, it's an approach at, up with a history it's approach a couple of a, a culture but it comes at it from an ethnographic uh, point of view which is something that a lot of couple of books don't do a lot of couple of books that we have access to are more uh, academic I guess in their approach they'll look for academic sources they'll look for written records and stuff like that which is great and there's lots of great books like that um, but what uh, Professor Lang's book is focused on is collecting stories. So it details, I think, three trips that she took to Brazil, uh, that she went around and f- found messies in their home, like older messies of different lineages, sat down with them and just talked with them about their lives. Talked with them about how they got started in Capoeira, what was Capoeira when they, to, to them when they, when they were learning different aspects of the history as they know it. Um, and it was really eye-opening because many of the stories that she got were conflicting, um, oftentimes directly conflicting. But uh, the point that her, that she and other ethnographers that I've that I've looked at since have drawn to is that that's kind of a natural part of oral histories, and we have to sit and be a little comfortable with that, uh, which is really hard. Yeah, one of the. All right. One of the one of the things along with that that I think I found uh, looking a little bit into the history is that when you're looking at accounts of Capoeira that are like you said more than a hundred years old, um, I have yet to find one that is from an actual person doing Capoeira, like from a slave practicing Capoeira, talking about Capoeira. It's always an outsider's perspective, looking Capoeira and describing what they're seeing and then inferring the purpose of that mm-hmm. or inferring what it means mm-hmm. to the community. And I think that just to reinforce your point that I completely agree with you, we're never going to have the rock solid answer. This is how Capoeira started. This is the purpose it served. This is why it is the way it is. There's a like a black hole there that we, we just can't pass over the event horizon. And so once you start to come up against that wall, I think you have to then turn and use your approach, like you were saying, is to say, okay, these models are incorrect, but which ones are useful and what can I take from them to then use in my daily practice and my daily interactions with Capoeira? And also even like, how can I connect with with the Brazilian masteries? Mm -hmm. Exactly like you were saying with... uh, What's her name? Maria Lang, maybe? I pulled up the book a moment ago. 
I forgot yeah. I forgot her. Lang Maria Lu. Yes, that's her name. From yeah, writing Bimba's Rhythm. Yep. <clears throat> Fantastic book. To go and talk to an older generation and, and to say, yeah, to do exactly that, like a qualitative survey of man, what's your life like? What is it like doing Capwita in this uh, and what was the environment like and how do you feel about it? That kind of stuff. That to me, I think is much more useful than something like uh, in a more academic setting because the academic setting is always going to be the outsider looking in mm-hmm. and then inferring as best they can, Absolutely. which is, is useful up to a point, but it's not that useful. Well, I want to bring it back to what you brought up with, you know, the engineering models and everything and just, and being comfortable that they're not going to tell the whole story and maybe they will tell a portion of the story that is relevant to you at that at that point in time but really just putting all of those together is you know just providing context and trying to consolidate those together in your head as to you know what is applicable at the time and what is applicable to your life but um, it's definitely like you said not easy to do but I think it's it's necessary to really you know, unwrap and unravel what, what Kaplan is. Absolutely. And I think, I think honestly, we don't really have any other choice because the other option is, yeah, there is no other choice. Yeah. Cause the other option is we have these conflicting stories and we stick the stake in the ground at one of them say, this is the correct one. All other stories are incorrect. And, uh, to me, it just doesn't make any sense to do that. Um, well, you say that. I have to get my time machine up and running, then we'll see who's laughing. But I will definitely say, I will definitely say, um, I I will confidently say that I don't have the correct the hundred percent, you know, dead to right story on anything. But I have definitely found some stories that I know are hundred percent wrong, and I think it's important to right. also you know be yeah. able to tell that difference there. Let's. Uh, as a way to begin wrapping up Desconfiado, not to uh, not to like tempt you to put yourself out of business here. But <laughs> how do you make your podcast? How do you like? What's a good way for somebody to start finding the information out there that seemingly you only have access to right now? Especially if you if you have tips for just English mm. sources, because I think you know the the percentage of people who speak Portuguese is small. Like if you had a student who came to you and it was like, what's the next, like, what are the top three things I should do over the next year to learn about Capoeira history? What would you say? So I think, I think what I would tell, what I would tell them is, uh, I think I would start more basic than that, to be honest, because there are, there's already a number of, you know, popular English language Capoeira texts that are available that I think most people know about or can find easily. You know, the Little Capoeira book is a good standard. Um, you know, Luanda to Cyberspace is great if you're up for punishment. Um, Been there. <laughs> but I think I think talking about how we learn in an effective way when we approach history is, is maybe even more important. Um, because if we even if we have all of the right resources uh if we treat history like a list of dates um or if we don't apply effective learning methods then we i think we still don't really get all that much from it so the way that i the way that i structure the work that i do and the way that i try to teach it to my students 
is first of all, like I've said a couple times, um, is focusing on the why of the history, the why things happen uh, instead of the what's, uh, because I think it gives you a deeper understanding of what you're looking at. It makes you care a little bit more. Uh, second is to try to connect the things that you learn to things that you already know as much as possible. This is this is a basic like if we just look at basic learning science, uh, this is something that's critical to uh, efficient, effective learning. So that's why when uh, when I'll talk about different aspects of Brazilian history, I try as often as I can to tie it back to U.S. history, because I know that you know most of my target audience is going to be people in the U.S. people who have some understanding of U.S. history. Uh, because sadly, that's all that U.S. public schools will teach kids when it comes to history. Um, so the more that you can relate back to something that people already know, the the easier it is for them to bring that up. They understand it a little better. It's easier to remember um, because they have like some parallel experience. So for that reason, um, I actually usually like to walk backwards through history. Uh, so instead of, if we're talking about, let, let's say we're talking about, you know, the history of Kapurangola, rather than starting in the early 1900s, you know, when Messi Pastina is learning Kapura for the first time, I would rather start in the present day, talk about where Angola is now. And then those teachers, where did they come from? Walk back a decade or two and then walk back a decade, a decade or two from there, uh, because it's easier for you to draw those connections to that present day. Um, so those are the general methods that I think lead to you finding better sources. So if you start with something like the, the little cup, what a book, and you want to understand the whys of things that are happening, you're, you're not going to find it there. You're going to find a lot of great information there, but you're not, it's not really complete. There's a lot of holes. There's a lot of little tidbits of information that you won't understand. So then it leads you to find the next thing. Uh, which may be another Capoeira text. It may be a Brazilian history text. It may be a Brazilian cultural text. Um, I think having the right attitude with how you approach it leads itself to the sources that you're going to find. Mm. I like that. Man, that's a thoughtful answer. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Also, learning a bit of Portuguese yeah. helps a lot. It helps. It yeah. really helps. <laughs> because a lot of the sources are Portuguese. But... Um, you might be the first person I've heard say inside Capoeira that we should be looking at the why things happen and not what things happen. I'm sure you're you're not the only person saying that. I just have not been listening when other people said that to me. But uh, that's kind of a profound <laughs> statement. I'd sort of wish now I could I could go back and like redo my last five years of teaching my students. And, <laughs> Stop telling them that like Capoeira originated in South Africa and then it traveled over to Japan and then that made its way <laughs> through Japanese immigration to Brazil. I really like what you what you said there, uh, Descampiado, and it also kind of reminded me of another you know um, engineering concept that you know it kind of reminds me of, which is trust but verify. I don't know if you've heard of that. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I mean, it's a, kind of the, the test engineering mantra. But the, I mean, yep. at its core, it's really about finding truth. So, I mean, it sounds like you know you go you go into it really trying to find this wealth of knowledge. You you try and reach from different sources and trust them. But 
again, you kind of use that in context and, and verify and try and find that truth of, of history. So appreciate that. How is well this going to make my Capoeira any better, guys? <laughs> I listened to 50 minutes of why history is important, and now I'm just going to go throw my mail Lewis. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's no there's no it's refuting saving that. Us all. That is so. exactly what we're going to do is go throw mail Lewis. But it won't be kept with it. But it won't be kept with it. Well, actually, I think that learning the history will teach you when to throw Maelua in the Hada. Yeah, you'll be owing into the Hada and you'll be like, oh, yeah, in 1905, (laughs) Mestri Bimba learned Capuita from his father. Therefore, I did this for you, Lumpio. But but really, though, I think think the answer to that question is the same reason. Why is is music important in Capuita? Yeah. I agree. I, I think it's the context of history is just as important uh, and actually extremely related to the music, which is a whole other hour of podcast I think we could do. But yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool. But I just wanted to add one other thing to uh, to what I was saying before is that and th- this is something that I think um, the Capoeira community doesn't do well. Uh, I think there are some people starting to now is we need to be willing to look outside of Capoeira for the answers that we're, mm. for, the, for the questions we're trying to answer within Capoeira. Mm. Um, there's a whole lot that I've learned about Capoeira history by, uh, you know, reading things on general Brazilian history, reading things on uh, African history. Candomblé. That, yeah, reading about Candomblé, that, you're not going to find if you just limit yourself to your Capoeira sources. One, because the Capoeira sources are limited, but also because there's a whole wealth of knowledge outside of Capoeira and different places, you know, specialize in different stuff. So you can really pull uh, a whole lot of information out. And I think that personally, and this is not just with history, but with all aspects of Capoeira, the best people in Capoeira right now, the best schools in Capoeira right now, uh, have people who have pulled in uh, information, techniques, inspiration from outside of Capoeira and adapted it to the context. So I think it's something to really important to not forget about. Quick example on that. Uh, I, at one point in my life, was pretty sold on the idea that Capoeira was a martial art that slaves used to resist the, the shackles of slavery. But if you go and read some sources that don't come from Capoeira about that time in Brazil, basically none of them mention Capoeira. And so you start to think to yourself, wait, if Capoeira is so good for like kicking slave owners off of horses, (laughs) why is nobody talking about it in all these military journals and reports? Like, what the hell? And so you start to think to yourself, oh, okay, maybe Capoeira was not that thing and maybe it served a different purpose and i can start to kind of look at that so i just echo you what you said that bomb at the end of the podcast <laughs> you know how many hundreds of school children i need to go and apologize to and reteach about capoeira don't do this to me man don't break me yeah sorry you just keep, keep... i already have i already That's have right. a horse on I'm order for my singles. students to practice <laughs> 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 oh, my world. My world is shattered. 
I would love to see Bonzinho and Azul, you guys in your backyard, like Bonzinho on the horse. Like, okay, I'm going to charge we'll on three. <laughs> and you do Martello and <laughs> I'll put it on Yeah. Screen. All right. Well, we're, we're running over time here. Desconfiado, thank you very much for joining us. If you're listening on the Singing for Survival side, thank you for tolerating us, adulterating <laughs> your regular broadcast. We, we, we are the... <laughs> If, if he's the uh, 60 minutes, then we are the view in cable, cable news. <laughs> so I appreciate you giving us a little oh bit my of God. Uh, what is my life? in our life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my I God. I everything. You're right, man. We are the view. Jesus. Well, this will be the final episode of this podcast. <laughs> I can't be the view. Well, well, thank you so much, guys, for having me on. I really, I really appreciate yeah, being man. on and talking with yeah. you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Where can people find you? We'll link your podcast, obviously, but is there anywhere else you want folks to find you, harass you? Uh, I mean, that's the best place. Uh, that has all my contact info on it if you want to reach out. Um, I've had, I, I really encourage people if they have questions or things that they are interested in to please reach out. I've had lots of interesting conversations start that way, so uh, please don't hesitate. Awesome. Well, if you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, and tell us about that time that you, Martello Hodado, a tall white guy off of a horse. You can find us at Only the Strongest Podcast at Gmail. Thank you very much for listening. Join us Ciao. next time. Ciao. Take care.